I call him a big dom dom. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Ross Safari. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the podcast with the host that is always a little sad that his guests use the term mountain lion instead of catamaran, the Rossafari podcast. I am grateful to have you all back for another episode. If you haven't yet, make sure you go ahead and hit the subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're listening on. You know, one of my favorite things in the whole world is when a person who has been on the podcast tells me I should interview one of their best friends. I love it because it tells me the person will be an amazing guest because they are already vetted by someone I trust. But I also take it as a compliment because if they didn't like being a part of the podcast, they wouldn't throw their friend into the lion's den. So you can imagine my excitement when Danny Poirier recommended today's guest to me. If you haven't heard episode 26, Unexpected Kookaburra, yet, make sure you go back and check out Danny's episode after you finish this one. We also did an Instagram Live that you can find on Instagram, at Rossafari, which you should be following. But enough about Danny. Today is all about Trisha Gunther. Trisha is the Animal Welfare, Enrichment, and Training Coordinator at the Bergen County Zoo which is an AZA-accredited zoo in New Jersey. Trisha's job is a really cool position, and one that is just starting to become more common in the zoo field. I'll let Trisha tell you all about it and how her position is serving to both support the keepers at the zoo and enrich the lives of the animals there. Trisha has a love of South American animals, and you'll get to learn a lot about some really unique animals that live at her zoo. You'll also get to hear her Jersey accent creep in from time to time, which just makes the episode. So, without further ado, here is my interview with Trisha Gunther, Animal Welfare, Enrichment, and Training Coordinator at the Bergen County Zoo. All right, so tell me who you are, where you work, and what you do there. So hi everyone. My name is Trisha Gunther. Um, I work at the Bergen County Zoo in northern New Jersey, and I am the Animal Welfare Enrichment and Training Coordinator there, which is a fairly new position. I've had it for about a year, and prior to that, I was a full-time keeper for about three or four years. <laughs> <laughs> All right, very cool. That is uh, that's a heck of a title. You have lots of words, and I'm looking forward to to breaking them down a little bit. Yes. <laughs> um, so Bergen County Zoo, tell me about it. So we are a smaller zoo. The Bergen County Zoo was once a celery farm. So the heart of our zoo, not that they had livestock on the celery farm necessarily, is our farmyard area where we have heritage breed species, which I had never heard of before working at the zoo, but they're actually endangered livestock species, um, which I think is really interesting. It's time for Interrupting, 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 Interrupting John. Mm. 
Hey, y'all, I thought I would just butt in here quick and tell you what heritage breeds are in a little more detail. So heritage breeds are the traditional livestock animals that we uh, know and love today, only the older ones that were bred by our forefathers. Um, This was before any of the changes were made to the species because of industrial agriculture and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, In general, these are animals that... um, were bred over time to have better disease resistance and be well adapted to their environments and also to thrive in pasture-based settings. You know the expression, this is not your grandfather's whatever? Well, these are quite literally what your grandfather or grandfather's grandfather would have seen had they been on a farm. All right, back to the interview. But the rest of our zoo is North, Central, and South American animals, which I really love, I find it's really interesting to kind of focus on that area. So um, not only I have a special love for South American animals, I think that um, the biodiversity is just amazing. But then also the North American animals, um, we have that connection with the people that come to the zoo that some of these animals are animals that they could see in their backyard um, and they can gain a larger appreciation for nature Very cool. I love that. One of the things that I have learned on this podcast is that um, people tend to connect with animals that they know uh, a lot more easily than they do with with animals that they don't know. And uh, Colleen Adams was talking about that. And I just I love that so much. That's really cool. Yeah. Nice. All right. So you do have uh, some really interesting animals at your zoo. But the (laughs) the interesting animal that I'm most curious about right now is Trisha. So what got you into animals? So I am, you could say I went into the family business. Um, My father was in the field. He was a zoo director. So I spent my life uh, loving zoos, loving animals. And really, I was brought up with a great sense of appreciation for wild things in wild places and making sure that whatever I do with my life, that I am... um, respecting nature and respecting animals. So that's where it started. Um, I always knew I wanted to work with animals, but I wasn't sure exactly what I wanted to do. Um, I went, I have a BS in wildlife and conservation biology. And then I got my master's in a very long title, but it's basically conservation biology. (laughs) Um, Where did you get your master's at? I got my master's at Columbia University. Oh, nice. Okay. And I did my thesis on uh, how personality of individual snow leopards in captivity affects reproduction rates. Um, So that was incredible. And that kind of led me towards, wow, I really, really love animal personalities. I don't really know what I want to do with that. And so right after I graduated, I got hired full time at the Bergen County Zoo And I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I um, kind of fell into becoming the unofficial enrichment coordinator. And my supervisor was actually like, oh, there's a class at Disney for enrichment programs. You should go to this. And so I went to that class. And that was the first time I realized that, oh, like I could have a career in this. (laughs) (laughs) This is an actual career. I love zookeeping. Um, and I do actually miss the day-to-day of zookeeping, um, switching over to this position, but I have such a love for research and um, 
this position kind of melded my love for research and also um, the daily care of animals. So your dad was a zoo director. Did that mean that you grew up at the zoo? Did you have like lions and tigers and bears as your best friends? <laughs> so I'd like to think so. I, <laughs> um, <laughs> I did spend so much of my time at the zoo. I um, like any event or anything, if my dad, you know, zoo directors are so dedicated, every zoo professional is so incredibly dedicated and dedicate their lives um, to the zoo. So, you know, if there's an event going on at the zoo, and I want to spend time with my dad, I'm going to that event. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So really growing up, zoos have been like a second home to me. um, Because even going on vacation, it's not a vacation if you're not going to the zoo of course of <laughs> course awesome that is so cool uh, i i also grew up getting to as as many zoos and aquariums and such as possible and it just it's so lovely very yes. very cool all right so let's talk about this position of yours yes okay so you are the otc at the zoo as i'm sure you've never heard said before um <laughs> the animal welfare enrichment and training coordinator uh what exactly is that title It's going to sound super redundant, but as the animal welfare enrichment and training coordinator, I manage our zoo's animal welfare enrichment and training programs. Okay, I had that one coming. That's (laughs) that's fair. That's fair. I thought there was something about not using the words in the the definition, but but okay, you know. (laughs) Try to make it as blatant as possible. So (laughs) for all those programs um, are very interconnected. So and. Enrichment and training are meant to increase an animal's welfare. So for our welfare program, I'm essentially managing it to make sure that all of our animals have the best welfare standards possible. So I stay up to date on what all those standards are um, and any new research that comes out about nutrition or what the habitat should look like for a specific animal because one thing I love about this field is there's constantly, we're constantly learning things. Um, so that's part of my job, which is to constantly learn. Um, and then enrichment is essentially a- anything we give an animal to stimulate species specific behaviors. Um, so I, and enrichment is my first love. <laughs> that is, you know, where I, um, it's my spark, uh, I would say. Um, so that is my baby. And then, so I can go back to that. And then with our training program, I not only kind of oversee the training that's going on, um, but I also set training priorities, which would ideally want to train every animal, every behavior all at the same time, but there's only a limited number of keepers. So we set priorities of um, which animals need to be trained right now and which behaviors need to get trained. So that's also something that I do with the enrichment program. So I've unofficially been the enrichment coordinator for a long time. It's just something that I loved and kind of fell into. And I have super supportive management that were kind of like, (laughs) go ahead, (laughs) have fun. Um, So all of our animals get daily enrichment. So that could be anything from food enrichment, such as puzzle feeders, to sensory enrichment, um, novel object or manipulative enrichment, um, or habitat enrichment. And so one thing that I'm doing currently 
is updating all of our animals' enrichment programs to be behavior-based. So what I'm doing right now is I am doing a lot of research on each species. Um, what are their natural behaviors? What are their natural activity budgets? Um, what are the activity budgets of the species in captivity? Because sometimes they differ a little bit. And then I create activity budgets for our individual animals to see how they match up. Um, and then to, from that, I build on, okay, what natural behaviors do we want to try to encourage? Um, for example, our spider monkeys, when I did the activity budget for, we have four spider monkeys. Um, and in all of my research, I found that they should spend about 20% of their time feeding and foraging. Uh, but our spider monkeys were only spending about 10% of their time feeding and foraging. So that showed me that I needed to include more. We doubled their feeding and foraging enrichment days. Um, we've seen their activity budget shift to um, have their feeding become closer to what one would expect. Very cool. That makes a lot of sense. That's uh, Do a lot of zoos do that kind of thing? Like I've, I've never heard it put quite that way before. So I know a lot of zoos are starting to go in this direction. Um, Lincoln Park and Brookfield. Brookfield and Chicago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Um, they're a part of the same. Right. Chicago you know, Zoological Society. Yeah. yeah. So I have heard of this a lot through them. Um, and I know a, a lot of it's something that comes up a lot at conferences and such. Um, so I think it's something that more zoos are going towards. Um, and the, my position is also something that um, you're kind of seeing pop up a little bit more because as we're growing as a field, I think people are realizing that, wow, this is, you know, we have a lot of things that we need to update and a lot of things that we need to keep track of. And um, it's a lot to put on. Keep, keepers have full jobs. Um, and so I am just kind of there to manage all of this and then you know, alongside with the keepers. Right, right. Very cool. So what does your, uh, and, and I know that no day at the zoo is quite yeah. the same as any other day, but, um, you know, anyone listening to this podcast has heard dozens of, of the days of a keeper. Yes. How does your day vary compared to that? Like, what is your day like? So my day, one thing, I being a zookeeper, your day is never the same every day. Um, but I feel like my days have become less stable <laughs> since I've <laughs> come into this position. I didn't even know that was possible. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't either, really. Um, so I'm still involved in actively training um, because I believe to become a better trainer, you have to actively be training. Of course. Um, so I um, usually first thing in the morning, um, I train with the mountain lions and there's also other keepers that train with them too. So that's just my schedule with them. Um, and then I do a round of all the animals and kind of just check on, you know, how everyone is doing with their, what enrichment everyone's getting. Cause the morning is a lot of cleaning time for the keepers. And so they're cleaning, putting new enrichment in. So I'm just kind of going around seeing what enrichment's going in, what's being used. Because um, I'm constantly thinking also about, okay, what enrichment items are being used, what enrichment items 
are we kind of lacking in? Do we need to order more of that a lot of keepers are kind of fighting for? Um, and what are we not utilizing and why? So I'm kind of doing those rounds and also checking in with keepers on how training's going, if they're doing a morning training session, um, if there is, you know, um, ongoing issue with an animal, kind of checking in to see what's going on with that. Um, and then after I'm done with my morning rounds, I usually sit down to try and get a little bit of research done. So my goal is that I update enrichment programs for about one species a month, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it is. Um, and so I try to do a little bit of research. And then later on in the day, I do another round. Um, like I was talking about with activity budgets, I do a round and do um, some sampling for our activity budgets for our species. And I also um, observe enrichment because our keepers, they observe our animals also. But since I have a different schedule, I am also able to kind of get a different view of the animals. And I pop out there at different times that a keeper might not, because um, their days are flexible, but there are some things that are um, a bit more, you know, that they're doing things at certain times. So they sure, might not like be a feeding out there. time is a feeding time. Right. Some places need cleaning at a certain time. And yeah, I get that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm able to kind of fill in that space and do animal observations then. And then after that, it's more research. And um, then I also um, speak with our curator and director and supervisor and get to talk to, I kind of check in with them, try check in with them every day about, what's happening, um, things that I'm working on, if there are anything that they want me to shift on. So that's one thing that I also love about this job is things always pop up. You know, if there needs to be, uh, if there's construction, we found out that there's construction going on the next day, um, then I need to kind of shift my focus to, okay, what animals is that affecting? Um, uh, can I do observations on them to see how, construction, you know, affects their behavior, if it affects them, if it doesn't? Um, it, are there any animals that need extra enrichment for that day? So for example, our mountain lions, um, they were hand reared. They're kind of, everyone loves them. <laughs> um, their names are Tacoma and Chinook. Um, but they're with hand reared animals and just in general, construction can be stressful. But with hand reared animals, they can react to stressors in a way that one might not expect being hand reared rather than if they were mother reared. So we know that um, construction is something that can bother them sometimes, but if we give them extra enrichment when we know ahead of time, then they're great. They love their jolly eggs, um, <laughs> which are, I don't, they're a very common piece of enrichment that a lot of zoos use and they are their absolute favorite things in the world. Um, so I'm able to kind of, schedule those things and manage those things as they happen. Cool. So, um, that, that's very cool. I love how much, uh, research you're into and everything. Um, break down your activity budget for me, since this is a new word that I learned about how much time in a day do you spend with animals versus how much time do you spend doing research and writing and, and all of that stuff? So, Ooh, I, spent... you haven't analyzed your own activity budget. Yet, <laughs> I have haven't. <laughs> um, I spend 
probably 40% of my day with animals and 60% on research on an average day. Sure, sure. That's not bad. (laughs) That's not bad at all. No. So I, like I said, I um, train with our mountain lions. I also train with our spider monkeys and um, our scarlet macaw on a regular basis. Um, There are also other animals that I weave in and out of. But so I try to train with those animals daily. So I always get that animal time, which is really wonderful. Um, And then the observation time, I consider animal time because it really is who wouldn't love, you know, having their job be to watch the animals and, you know, get to watch them. I mean, yes, you're getting paid to go to the zoo. That is (laughs) a win. Yeah. Yeah, I, I do that for free every day I can. So, <laughs> you know, sometimes I even have to pay for it. Uh, so, you know, yeah, no, that's amazing. That's that's very cool. And yeah, you're right. That is animal time. That, that's very cool. Um, so tell me about one of your favorite animals at the zoo. So it's really difficult because I have a lot of favorites. But, <laughs> you know, everyone always makes fun of me for not knowing what the word favorite means. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is my favorite. And that's my favorite. And um, and yeah, I think you may struggle with that as well, my friend. <laughs> yeah. So we were just talking about relationships with animals and how that is one of the best part of parts of my job and of probably anyone's job that works in this field. It's the relationships you get to build with these animals. And one of by far hands down <laughs> the most rewarding um relationship that i have built is with a scarlet macaw named scoundrel and she definitely if you're wondering lives up to her name <laughs> i don't know who named her but <laughs> she was born at my zoo so it was someone's someone's fault here <laughs> um but scoundrel is one of, she is one of the biggest personalities Um, And she's so mischievous and just, you know, such a little ham. But when I first met Scoundrel, it was 12 years ago when I first started as a seasonal at the zoo. And from the day I met her, Scoundrel hated me. Oh, no! (laughs) Um, She, and looking back on it, I know um, now that Scoundrel loves to test people. Um, She loves to play games with people and kind of, you know try to outsmart them. And that's definitely what she was doing. Um, Scoundrel can spot someone's weakness from a mile away. So as a very like young and experienced person, um, you know, I Scoundrel definitely won. um, So whenever she would go on the T-bar, which, you know, Scoundrel's smart. She knows the deal. Um, and she was very good at, she is very good at going on the T-bar. But if I was in the room, she would jump right off of it and chase me around the room. And <laughs> oh, no. one time she even like chased me back into her habitat and was like trying to bite at my ankles. So this was my life for about um, six years. Oof. And Scoundrel just like, she wasn't a fan of me. And, or should I say she was a huge fan of, um, you know, of taking the piss out of me. I don't know if I can say that. (laughs) Sure, you're fine. It sounds British. (laughs) But, so 
I decided I was super endeared by Scoundrel. She's such a smart bird. She is just incredible. So I was like, I am going to make Scoundrel my friend. So, like, we're going to have a relationship. I don't know how it's going to happen, but if she'll let me, I'm going to make this happen. So for about six or seven years, I just spent as much time as I could with her. I told her how beautiful she is and how smart of a bird she is and, you know, really inflated that ego, (laughs) which scoundrel, so talk about like training reinforcements. Um, Scoundrel loves her peanuts, but she almost equally loves praise. Um, that is super reinforcing to her. So <laughs> Me too. through slowly but surely, <laughs> we were able to build some trust and build a relationship. And to the point where now, 12 years later, um, I'm currently her primary trainer. Nice. And we have such an incredible bond and such an incredible amount of trust between her and I, and we're currently um, towel training, which is really awesome. Scout, some parrots, I find, tend to not mind tactile um, stimulation as much. Scoundrel doesn't like to be touched. She likes her personal bubble. Um, so towel training is something that, you know, I thought would be a really huge hurdle for us um, because she just, she just really doesn't um, offer up the opportunity to be touched very often. But I, it has been incredible. Um, we're not, we're not quite there yet. But she has come leaps and bounds, and the amount of trust that I see in her when we work together um, is just so amazing. And I like think about all of the time that I spent, you know, just building a relationship with her, and oh, that is like one of the highlights of my career. And if I left this field tomorrow. That's probably one of the things I would be most proud of. Oh, I love that. Yeah, scoundrel's just the best. My scoundrel pants. I call her princess pants because, let's be real, she's the princess pants. Um, but yeah, she's just so awesome. You know, I have had a longer relationship with scoundrel than some people that I know. And that's just incredible to think about. But yeah, so that's that's my scoundrel pants. Well, that's just adorable. Is she a popular animal at the zoo? She goes off exhibit in the winter because it's a little too chilly for her outside. Um, so not as many people get to know her if they don't come um, during our high points. Well, that makes sense. Are there any fan favorite animals at the zoo? One animal that everyone loves that is also a keeper favorite. My favorite is our mountain lions. <laughs> um, their names, like I said, their names are Tacoma and Chinook, and um, they are actually orphaned mountain lions. We received them when they were three weeks old. They're from Washington State. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Big awe factor. <laughs> um, <laughs> they, uh, their mother was, um, they have an amazing story. Um, their mother was killed as part of a legal hunt. So in Washington, they do have a legal hunting season for mountain lions. And it kind of um, correlates with when mothers would normally have their cubs with them. So if a mother has her cubs with them, you don't kill the mother. The mother of our mountain lions apparently had her litter pretty late in the season. So the cubs were still in the den. So um, as a hunter, seeing her, you wouldn't necessarily know that she had a litter of cubs. Um, So. Most 
places have check stations where you bring um, an animal and the wildlife officers at the check station actually realized that the mother had been lactating. So they retraced the hunter's steps and were able to find the den with four mountain lion cubs. Wow, that's interesting. It is incredible. I didn't know that they would they did this kind of thing. Um, so we got the two boys and then I believe Toledo got the two girls. That is so cool. I love yes. that. Um, yeah, you know, I, I was I was just recently at the Columbus Zoo, and they have three orphaned mountain lion cubs from the California wildfires. And I was just watching them play from, you know, right right across the glass from me just a couple days ago. Oh, they're amazing. They I are such cool story. animals. It's oh, incredible. Gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous animals. Um, so tell me what their personalities are like and like what it, what, what it was like raising them and just all that good stuff. Oh, yeah. So, um, so like I said, we got them when they were three weeks old. So they were still bottle feeding, which was there. <laughs> a baby's a baby. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's, they got fed at every few hours. And that was just really taxing. You know, um, I think outside of the zoo field, a lot of people glamorize um, hand rearing animals. You know, we prefer not to do it if it's if we don't have to. Um, but obviously, this is a situation where we had to. So it's a lot of long hours. But it was really incredible watching them grow up. So Tacoma is more of the outgoing mountain lion. He is. He is also. I call him a big dum dum. because he often does things without thinking he um his body moves faster than his brain sometimes (laughs) and then chinook is um a little more subdued he's not necessarily shy but he's a bit more standoffish and he is definitely more of the thinker he if you um give them a puzzle feeder he's thinking about it before he goes to do it. Whereas Tacoma will just jump right in and, you know, use brute force to try (laughs) to get anything. Um, But it was really interesting uh, hand rearing them. So we, at around three months, we decided to be hands off with them. So we treated them as protected contact and all of that. Um, but so as we were as we were raising these mountain lions, we want to make sure that they are reaching the same milestones that they would if they were with their mother. So we did put a lot of work into making sure that their environment was super stimulating, that they were experiencing lots of different things. And so when we got them, we had an older mountain lion who we knew was coming to the end of his life. So he was up in his exhibit. And they were in another area. So we wanted to make sure that they would get the same climbing and jumping opportunities that they would on exhibit so that that was something that they got used to and that they experienced, um, you know, being in their habitat, there's lots of people around. And so that they would get used to people walking by and all the strange noises that would happen. So that was something that... um, I had not experienced before trying to, you know, come up with a behavioral plan for um, young hand reared animals. So that was a really unique and rewarding experience for all of the keepers, but especially um, me in 
my enrichment position. That's awesome. And how old are they now? So they are just over three years old and they are still young boys. <laughs> <laughs> Tacoma, his, so they love Jolly Eggs. Like I said before, Jolly Eggs trump pretty much everything in the world, except Tacoma has a strange affinity for sticks. So if you give him a pile of sticks, he'll kind of rummage through it until he finds the one that that is his favorite. I'm anthropomorphizing a lot, but <laughs> <laughs> um, he'll pick through until he finds one and then he'll just bang it against things to make noise. And that's, he'll do that all day. I mean, um, to be fair, that's literally what my career is. Yes. <laughs> so you can relate to Tacoma's, <laughs> Tacoma's love a lot. So he's a big goof. Um, and Chinook is more of a, he, Chinook uh, loves everything, but in secret, he can't let us know <laughs> that he loves everything. <laughs> That's really adorable. Tell me, tell me a little bit more about what you mean. So <laughs> he's super frustrating for keepers <laughs> because they'll put out all this amazing enrichment and we have a zip line um, in their habitat. We'll hang things from their zip line to encourage them to get up on their hind legs and stretch and all of that. And he will just kind of walk by it when he goes out and, you know, just walk by and go and sit somewhere and kind of watch, you know, where the keepers are. And then almost as soon as they walk away, he'll go over to it and jump up and <laughs> bat it around and all of that. Um, I actually learned this because I started recording them because um, we wanted to try and figure out um, different enrichment that they like. We wanted to see what our mountain lions activity budgets were for the day. Ooh, I know what that means now. <laughs> yes. Um, they get really excited around people. So especially the keepers that they know. So they would stop what they were doing whenever a keeper would come by. So it became a little difficult for me to observe them um, because I couldn't really tell what their true activity budget was because they would always stop and pay attention to me right, when I right. walked over. So I started videotaping them to see what their true activity budgets were, how they spent their days. Um, and that's kind of how I discovered that Chinook is a secret enrichment lover. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't think anyone was watching. And then, yeah. <laughs> That's really adorable. I love that. Very cool. So it's been awesome to tell keepers like, hey, that um, sheep pay that you put in there, Chinook actually loved it. <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't want you to know. <laughs> <laughs> So what is the coolest bit of enrichment that you have come up with so far? A cool enrichment success that I have had was we have a Baird's taper, which I'm kind of in love with him. Okay. I want to hear your story, but then you have to tell me all I love tapir. So, <laughs> but, but tell me the story first. Um, so we get fire hose um, donated from where one thing that we're really lucky about is we're a county facility. So we have connections with anything that's county-based, whether it's the tree trimmers or the fire department or whatnot. So the fire department donated fire hose to us. 
And we had awesome seasonals over the summer that made these fire hose braids out of it. And something super simple, we put bamboo pieces in the fire hose braid and hung it. And tapers have these beautiful long um, proboscis snouts. And it encouraged him to browse on different levels of his um, indoor habitat. So outdoors, he has trees and such, but indoors, Tonka's a little bit lazy. So <laughs> he doesn't necessarily like to work for things all the time. But that was super cool to see him, um, you know, do supernatural behavior and forage kind of up on a different level than he normally would. And he's super cute doing it. Well, yeah, because their their little proboscis goes up, and then you see their little smiley face. I love papers. Yes. So, so tell me more. Tell me more about. Did you say it's Tonka? Tonka. He's a little special boy. He <laughs> <laughs> he is also. We got him from another zoo. I'm actually not sure where we got him from, but he was also hand reared. So we like to joke that he doesn't think he's a taper. He thinks he's a person. <laughs> um, but he loves his favorite thing in the world is to push things, which I've really hard time describing to people why, but Tonka just loves to move his mass in a forward direction. <laughs> <laughs> he loves is very rewarding for him to have forward momentum. <laughs> um, so if you give Tonka anything that he can push, he will just push it all day. And it is the best thing ever. Um, one thing I love about tapers is that they, uh, spend time in the water. Tapers can hold their breath for a long time. It's time for interrupting, 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 interrupting John again. So here's a fun little fact. Tapers can hold their breath for multiple minutes, probably three to five minutes on average. It varies by individual, which is pretty cool. However, what's even cooler is that they can extend their proboscis above the water just slightly enough to get a breath and then stay underwater significantly longer. In the wild, if they're trying to escape a predator or feel threatened in any way, they will jump into the water, hold their breath, then just stick their proboscis up, grab a little bit of breath, and keep on hiding until they feel the danger has passed. All right, back to the interview. So Tonka has a gigantic pool in his um, outdoor habitat, and he will go and swim under. And from the viewer's perspective, you can't see the bottom of the pool or anything. So it just looks like oh, it's an empty exhibit. That's so weird. And then um, this beautiful, strange elephant looking creature <laughs> will pop out. And I love seeing people's reactions because um, I don't think people, a lot of people know about tapers and he just looks like such a strange, you know, combination of animals. Um, so a lot of people think that tapers are related to elephants, but they're actually more related to rhinos and horses um, than they are to elephants. Um, they just have their long floppy snout just reminds people of elephants. Right, right. They're ungulates, right? Yes. Okay, I thought so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think they are adorable. Um, one of my favorite species I have not met yet, and and it makes me a little sad. But you know, someday yeah, when you come to once all this COVID stuff, I know <laughs> we should be hanging out right now. I this know. is not fair. <laughs> but Tonka is super cool. So um, he's 
he's not. <laughs> so some people go in with their tapers and are hands-on with their tapers. Um, we are not. Um, we choose to be perfected contact with our taper just because. I mean, the forward momentum thing. Yes. Makes, that makes sense. Yeah. They're such a large animal. Um, but he is really just a joy to watch. And it's really just a joy to um, educate people about tapers. And that's one thing I love about South America, working with South American species is um, there's such biodiversity in South America in the tropics. And so I feel like there's so many species that people have never seen before or never heard of. It's like, oh, I kind of think I know about this species, but um, don't know much about it. So it's really cool to educate people about them. Definitely. And and you're right. There are a ton of uh, species down there that people half know about or, or aren't <laughs> fully aware of. Uh, you guys have another one, which is um, ocelots. Yes. Yes. So talk to me about your ocelots. So we have one, we have two male ocelots. One of them, he is an old man. He's 20 years old. Wow. Yeah. So he is our old guy. Um, and then we have a, I believe he's eight month old male um, that we recently uh, got from LA Zoo. Um, and so we're just getting to know him. So something that I find interesting is I feel like outside of um, outside of zoos, people may think that, oh, working with a cat is working with a cat is working with a cat. Um, working with our mountain lions versus working with our ocelots is so incredibly different. Our mountain lions have such different personalities. Um, most ocelots that I've worked with have been a little bit more standoffish. Um, they're very, very cat. Um, I definitely, <laughs> I am definitely aware that I'm working for, for them. <laughs> um, fair, fair. Yeah. But so they're super cool. They're a small, they're a small cat that's um, native to central. So they're, they can be found in the Southern United States and um, down to Mexico and then central to South America. So they have, um, a pretty good range where you can find them. Um, but they're a really cool species because they can climb very well. So they can find their prey in trees, but they can also swim. They're not, um, they're not put off by water like some other cat species are. So they're pretty diverse in that they'll eat fish, they'll eat small primates, um, rodents and such. Um, and they also have these super rough tongues that are really good at cleaning bone. So um, they're a pretty adaptive species. They can adapt to different types of environments um, really pretty easily. Very cool. That's, uh, that's really neat. Tell me about this new one about your cub. <laughs> so his name is Makusi. I actually, I don't know much about him yet. We're still learning. So one thing that I love about my position. So like I said, um, we create these behavioral plans, these um, enrichment plans for each of our animals. And so it's very species-based. I spend a lot of time studying the species, um, both in the wild and in captivity, but then it's also individually based. So I have a general ocelot enrichment plan, but a 20-year-old ocelot has different, um, in their life, has different behavioral needs than a 
less than one year old ocelot. Um, so in most, well, in a lot of mammals, you'll see younger animals play, spend a lot of time playing. Um, for young cats, that helps them gain their hunting skills. Um, but an older ocelot might not spend any time playing because they already have gained those skills and, um, you know, they might spend more time resting and conserving energy than a younger animal might. So I um, kind of, as I get to know individual animals, am able to tailor these enrichment plans towards what their specific needs are um, in their, in where they are at in their lifespan and um, what their environment is. Um, each individual animal has their own specific needs and I'm able to kind of tailor it to that while also being under the scope of what they need as a species. All right. So animal welfare, enrichment, and training coordinator. That is, even though I know they're all overlapping and I totally get that, that is three different things because I can count that high. And we're talking welfare, <laughs> enrichment, and training. And I believe you said that enrichment is your favorite of those. So talk to me about enrichment. Why? Like, what does it mean to you? Oh, so oh, just here. Oh, enrichment makes my heart burst. <laughs> um, I, yeah, and enrichment is my first love. I think my first, the first summer I ever worked at the zoo, I was being trained to work with some of our ambassador animals. And one of them was a hedgehog. And oh, I love hedgehogs. So like they're so underrated. They're so great. Um, and we were giving her a puzzle feeder. So we're, the goal was to give her a puzzle feeder. So we um, put some of her food in newspaper, not all of it, because you, in case they don't choose to interact with it, put some of her food in some newspaper bowls. Just how simple is that? And watching her dig through the newspaper bowls and get the food I was like, this is incredible. Like, this is enrichment. That's amazing. So <laughs> that was my first love with it. So one thing that I really love about enrichment is that it gives the animal choice and control over their environment. It's something that they can choose to interact with or not interact with. Um, but even if they don't interact with it, it's something that can um, enrich their lives. It is a change in their environment and such. So one thing I love about enrichment is it can be super diverse. It can be anything from our spider monkeys. So they obviously have access to water all the time. Um, <laughs> it is one of the basic needs of a living being. Yes, yes. But um, for enrichment, we'll give them water bottles um, with sugar-free fruit punch. And that's something that is enriching to them. It's a new taste that they may not have ever tasted before. And we found that they really love it. And it's uh, super cool. Something as simple as, you know, a fruit punch water bottle can be really enriching to these animals. And something as complex as building a gigantic structure with moving beams that can help a cat um, work its muscles and maintain balance. It's all a gigantic spectrum of what's enriching and what's enriching to this specific animal and this specific species. Um, so that's what I find so interesting about it is that there's, so, it's literally endless possibilities of, 
of what can be enrichment and um, what's enriching to different animals and different individuals. Like I was talking about Tacoma with his stick, you know, that might not be, you know, a Chinook walked past those sticks and he, <laughs> you know, doesn't look twice at them, but that's something that, you know, um, Tacoma spends hours, you know, finding the right sounds that the sticks makes against certain rocks and such. Um, so it's really cool. And you really get to know your animals through it, um, which I think is incredible. I love that. That's really cool. And I know one thing that um, if I ever became a keeper, I would struggle with is that I know that a lot of uh, enrichment stuff involves creating stuff and being like crafty yes. and stuff. And I'm a disaster with that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, how are you with all of that? I really love making stuff. Um, and I actually am so lucky that a lot of the keepers that I work with are also incredibly crafty. Nice. So, yeah. So we, one thing that I love is that, you know, you go into the shop and you want to make something, you know, there's a, process you um if a keeper has an idea for a piece of enrichment they just write down their plan for it and get it approved to make sure it's something that is appropriate for that species and um you know not potentially dangerous and we talk about any of the concerns and whatnot um but then they can just kind of like go for it which is so cool and a lot of the a lot of keepers you know use that to their advantage um like i said this past summer we had a lot of seasonal keepers who, you know, they're only there for a short period of time, but they are, were insane at making fire hose enrichment. I don't, for anyone that's worked with fire hose, it's not the easiest material to work with. It's pretty darn frustrating. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's difficult to cut through. It's, you know, sometimes difficult to bend and such, but they just, you know, really banged out some really awesome enrichment pieces and that was so cool to watch because it's also, um, you know, such a bonding time <laughs> making enrichment. It's like some of the best times and some of the best conversations happen over a drill <laughs> and <laughs> some wood. So, yeah, that's awesome. One keeper actually just, we have an Amazon wish list that we get donations from, especially around the holidays. And we caught this one cool piece of enrichment that was a piece of PVC and it had kind of caps on each end and it was strung through with some chain. And so it could be a feeder, you know, the caps would lift up. You can put stuff inside the PVC, like semi-simple, but you know, really cool. And we, I was talking with this keeper about how we could really use it for a bunch of different species and all that. And she was like, you know, I think I can make this. And I was like, okay. And I didn't really think much of it. And then I got back from my weekend and she was like, Hey, I want to show you something. I made this. And she <laughs> made a replica of it in like an hour. That's and awesome. That's so cool to watch people be creative. And, you know, that's something that's not my skill set. Like, I, she found lids that fit the end of the PVC container. I would have never thought to use what she used. And right, it's right. so cool to watch her be so, like, watch people be so creative when they're building stuff. Cause as you know, zoos don't have a ton of money. So what? I, mean, I thought all zoos <laughs> and zookeepers were super rich. It's I'm so secret. confused. <laughs> it's a secret we've been keeping. 
But so it's, you know, you have to be really um, resourceful as a keeper. And yeah, it's just so, you know, it keeps my mind working uh, as to, you know, what can we, you know, we want to make this, what can we use and all of that. And it's just so cool to have such a creative team surrounding me. Nice. How the heck do you know Danny Poirier? Okay. So Danny and I have known each other for about 10 years. Um, we went to college together. Okay. Danny is was one year ahead of me in college, and she was actually the RA for the building that I was living in. And I went to go check in as a scared little freshman. And she was like, you're a wildlife major? That's so crazy. I'm a, she was a wildlife major at the time. She's like, I'm a wildlife <laughs> major. Let's be friends. <laughs> and that was the blossoming of our friendship and we have been amazing friends since and she's one of the best people i've ever met that's awesome i'm so glad she recommended you for this that's that's so cool do you guys get to see each other much so not really um yeah it's hard like she lives in massachusetts and i live in new york so you think we'd be able to get to see each other more often um but we haven't really but we make it a definite like we definitely catch up um very often and make sure to check in with each other and such. Um, yeah. Very cool. Awesome. Okay. Well now is the time <laughs> where I'm going to open up the floor and ask if there are any conservation organizations you want to give a shout out to, or humans you want to give a shout out to or anything really. Yeah, definitely. So I, like I said, I love, um, the biodiversity and, um, I'm really passionate about South American wildlife. So the Golden Lion Tamarin Association is a association that I really support their work. Um, Save the Golden Lion Tamarin is the United States charity that supports them. The Golden Lion Tamarin Association is the association in Brazil. And they help conserve the Atlantic forests in Brazil, which is where the Golden Lion Tamarin is endemic to. Um, so they're endemic to this small area, um, which is, I believe, the second most biodiverse area next to the Amazon forest. And so the gold mine tamarind is essentially a flagship species. So by supporting gold mine tamarind conservation, you're also supporting the conservation of all the rest of the species that live in that area. So what the gold mine tamarind association does is they work to create connections between gaps in forests. So creating forest corridors um, and managing gold mine tamarind populations for long-term growth and um, repopulation. Their gold mine tamarinds are endangered. So, and they're a species that I have worked with since I started at the zoo and we have, um, they're part of a species survival plan. And we've actually um, been pretty successful in breeding them, which has been incredible. Nice. Um, so it's one of the first um, conservation organizations that I kind of started following. And I really love what they do. And I think that it's really amazing. Cool. And then the last question. Is the Rasafari poop story hit me? Ah, so I knew that when this happened to me, 
it would come in handy one day. It's the only <laughs> reason that it would happen to me. So I was being trained to work with our spider monkeys. And I was kind of towards the end of our training, my training where I was being observed by my supervisor. And um, it was pretty recently after I had become full time, I believe. So I was still, you know, I was, you know, nervous and I just wanted, you know, to, you know, want to be at your best when your supervisor's watching you. So I shifted our spider monkeys onto their habitat and I went to clean their indoor habitat and I opened the door and stepped inside and slipped on some poop and fell directly into their latrine area. <laughs> so I was covered shoulder to foot in spider monkey poop. And my supervisor was on the floor laughing, just <laughs> absolutely dying. And I was like, fantastic. This is the impression. <laughs> this uh, is the lasting impression that I will give. And it is one of the most embarrassing things that has ever happened to me. I've been pooped on. That's somehow less humiliating than <laughs> falling in a giant pile of poop. Fair, fair. Amazing. Well, uh, Trisha, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been amazing. Well, that was a blast for me. Uh, yeah, Trisha was definitely one of those fun guests that I just instantly feel a, a friendship with. And I think we actually stayed on Zoom for about another hour just chatting and being friends. I always love when something like that can happen. Uh, if you're interested in checking out Trisha on Instagram, you can find her at Trisha A. Gunther. And also the zoo is available there at Bergen County Zoo. And of course, all of these links will be in my show notes. So you can look there and click on those and find some other links I threw in as well. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to leave it a five-star rating and maybe a review. And uh, you can always support Ross Safari at patreon.com slash Ross Safari. All right, well, you know what's coming next, and thank goodness these credits don't come from Ikea, or you'd have to assemble them for yourself instead of hearing this. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review, as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Ross Safari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Ross Safari, on the web at rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.